we're not going to have all the team come up and share their testimonies. We're only going to have a few because we know you have to go with your families and all that. So we don't want to leave. We're going to leave here a little bit longer, but we don't want to leave you here forever, okay? So just bear with us. Try to, try to flip your watch like this so you don't look down on it. Put away your phones. Put away your watch. And let's just enjoy the testimonies today if you could do that. And today we're going to ask a couple of them to share their testimonies. Um, I'll come up at the end, but each one will come up one by one after each one is done. And uh, before I get started, I want to share something. And um, this is from a preaching titled Holding Fast to Faith from Charles Spurgeon. Um, Charles Spurgeon is someone we highly respect and speak about that lived hundreds of years back and a father in the faith. And I want to share a clip from his message. And I promise you, as I read this clip from his message, this is what our team represented. And the clip of his message, it's titled Holding Fast to Faith, preached hundreds of years ago by Charles H. Spurgeon. And listen to what he says. He says, dear friends, this name, this faith, this is our message. Our only business here below is to cry, behold the Lamb. Are any of you sent of God with any other message? It cannot be. The one message which God has given to his people to proclaim is salvation through the Lamb. Salvation by the blood of Jesus. To tell of Jesus is our occupation. We have nothing to say which is not comprised in the revelation made to us by God in Jesus Christ. And I love how he ends this. He who is our comfort is our one theme. And I can tell you today that this team, our one theme was Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think Charles Spurgeon said it best. So with the first person, I'm going to ask her to come up. She's from down south. She leads the missions in our down south church. And um, that is Christy. And I'm going to ask Christy today and ask each one to give us five to ten minutes to share what God did in her life as a testimony in Haiti. So let's give Christy a hand. Amen. I so didn't want to be first, especially after the slideshow and everything. Um, I was really um, blessed to be able to go on a trip for the first time with not leading. And um, it was probably the trip that I savored the most because all I did was any little second I had, I was able to pour into somebody's life in Haiti. I was able to spend a lot of time with the kids. I didn't have to worry about anything. Nancy and Rigo did that. I didn't have to hear anything. It didn't matter. Whatever was said, we just kind of, I just kind of went with it. And it was awesome because I'm just really thankful that they gave me the opportunity to go and that God opened that door for me. Because um, when I first went to Haiti, um, it's kind of like your first love, you know, you fell in love, you know. And in the beginning, you know, when you first fall in love, it's like awesome. You never forget it. And so I went to Haiti. I've been to a lot of places, but Haiti just captured my heart in a way that no other country has. Um, so I fell in love. And then throughout the year, I kind of kept in touch with, um, I'm going to let everybody share their stories, uh, John Mark and just some of the Haitians. I kept in touch with them throughout the year because they'd call. So I went back, and it's now like I have like this relationship with them. It's almost like a marriage that, they're like a part of me. Like I love them in a way that I. It's kind of like crazy. It's like a, I, you can't, I can't explain it. You'll hear all the stories, but you just can't explain it. It's just like this love that completely blows you away. But 
what I did realize is going back and seeing just the fruit that was left there. You know, a lot of people say, and I'm sure a lot of the missionaries heard this, what are you going to do in Haiti in a week? Please, that country, there's no way. You can't change the world. You can't change everything in one week. There's just no way. But you know what? They're wrong. Because I went back, and there were certain people's lives there that they're changed forever. So I stick to, we may not be able to change the world, but you change a life one person at a time. You change the world one person at a time. And there was kids, they waited for us. They remembered us. They talked about us. And I'll just leave you with one story of one kid. He was with us, and we sang a lot. Our theme song there was, You're the God of the City. And basically, um, the medical intern, an American girl, she told us that um, he told her about us. And he says that every night before he goes to sleep, he sings, You're the God of the City, and he sees each of our faces. So I know we impacted them. I know we... I know they're changed forever. Just so you know, I already spoke to two of them. They've been talking about us. They miss us. And um, God's just awesome. And my heart is left there. And I'll always think about them and pray for them. And basically, I'll leave you with that. Um, Last night when um, I was preparing for this, I was really overwhelmed because so many things happened in Haiti. It's just such a life-changing experience. Um, Your dependence on God, um, your feelings for the people. um, There's just so much you see and feel when you're there that it's really hard to um, uh, condense it. Um, When I first got there, they had told us that they weren't going to allow us to, um, Kiara would be able to do dental work, which she did every single day, Um, but they weren't going to allow Jay or myself work in the clinic because we had gotten in our medical information too late, and I was really bummed, and I kept praying to the Lord, saying, please let me work in the clinic, that's what I really want to do, Lord, but whatever, you're going to make it work out so that whatever you have me do here, that's fine. That's what's going to happen. So the first um, Monday that the clinic was open, I went there hoping to work. And um, they didn't let me work in the prosthetics lab the first day they had me in the pharmacy organizing medication. And I was a little bummed because (laughs) I wanted to work with the people. So I was determined that by the second day I would go into the prosthetics lab and just see what happened, just introduce myself and get to work. And I did um, the second day after quite a struggle. And I think Yesenia is going to share a little bit about um, what happened to me the night before and every barrier that came against me before getting to the prosthetic lab. But um, when I got to the prosthetic lab, um, most of you don't know, I do upper extremity. Like I do the neck and the shoulders and arms. I don't really do a lot of legs. I've been around it a lot. I've seen a lot of people, other people do it. I've assisted with it, but I've never been the one to work on legs. So when I walk into the prosthetic lab and I start talking to the two gentlemen, David and Nono, who are both Haitians who run the lab, I told them what I do, and they go, oh, we have patients for you already. He goes, and they all walked in, and they were all lower extremity amputees. They were all legs. And they said that they don't do arms because arms are too expensive for Haiti. So if you lose your arm, you're kind of left with just a little, you know, a, a little residual limb. So um, 
I said, I said, okay, Lord, you got me here. These patients are here. I have to see them. And I started praying in my mind, going, Lord, please help me to do what's right for these people. Um, please help me to help them and show me what they need that I can help them. And so the first patient was a gentleman who had only had his prosthetic leg for two weeks. So when we put the leg on him, he was walking with the prosthetic leg and crutches. And I had him walk up and down the clinic like two times. And then for, they had parallel bars, which are two bars that the patients could hold on to to walk. So I took away his crutches, and I said, no, come walk with me. I put him in the parallel bars, and I started walking with him back and forth. And within an hour, he was walking up and down the clinic, not holding on to anything, no crutches, no nothing. And I swear to you that I did nothing. All I did was kind of like tell him whatever I felt, and it was incredible within like an hour, this man who had walked in using crutches and just learning to use this new leg um, was walking up and down the clinic, turning and everything. And it was like that the whole rest of the time that I was there. Like everybody that would come in, I would pray in my mind and I would say, I have no idea what to do with this person, Lord. Just show me what's wrong with them. And like one lady had a space in her prosthesis and she had the prosthesis on. There was no way for me to know that or see that. And I go to, I go, I told David, who was translating for me, I go, ask her if her prosthesis is loose. And it was. Like, how would I know that unless the Lord had shown me that? You know, I would get this idea that someone had, like, pain, pain in their back, and I was right. And it was just an insane three days in the, in the prosthetics lab. Uh, it was just incredible. <laughs> It just really showed me that when we move in our faith and when we put all our trust in God, he really comes through for us. Like, he really helps us to, to help those we want to, you know, work through. And, like, I learned to pray for the patients, watching Christy do it. And this, the whole experience was just a blessing for me. On the wall of the prosthetics lab, there was a, um, a verse um, because when I got there, I found out that that prosthetics lab before the earthquake was going to be used as a morgue. And when the earthquake came, they had this need for a prosthesis, and um, they turned it into a prosthetics lab instead of a morgue. And um, on the wall of this lab was Revelation um, 21.5, and it reads, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And this was written in Creole on the wall, and... Um, I was really amazed because in Haiti, when you lose a limb, your life is over. You know, they don't value you anymore. And with these prosthetic legs, they really are giving people a new life, a new chance at life. I just want to close with this. Um, when I was praying last night about this, um, I came to the verse, um, 1 Corinthians 4.11, <clears throat> and it's Paul. And Paul is listing his hardships for Christ. And I really thought that it spoke about the Haitian people because I believe that God's doing a huge, huge work in Haiti. And um, 1 Corinthians 4.11 reads, To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we're poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world and the offscoring of all things until now. And I believe until now, Haiti is all these things. But I really believe in the vision of Mission of Hope after being there. And I really believe that Haiti's in for a huge change. 
I believe that these kids 20 years from now are, are just going to turn Haiti completely around, and Haiti is going to be an amazing place. So I was just blessed to be a part of that. Bear with me because I'm a baby cry. So, um, the first place I want to I want to start off with is in Second Corinthians um, twelve fourteen. Um, this is one of the verses that the Lord spoke to me the last day we were there. And it's Paul speaking to the Corinthians. It says, "Now I am ready to visit you for this third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you." So let me read the the last half of it. It says, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Um, I realized that the kids in the orphanages, all they really wanted was me. You know, they never did they ask me for my watch. You know, because a lot of people, you know, told us, oh, when you get to Haiti, everybody's going to want your watch. They're going to want your water. They're going to want your clothes. They're going to want your shoes. And that wasn't true with the kids at Mission of Hope. Um, they, all they wanted was for me to carry them, for me to love them, for me to touch them. Um, some of the kids in the orphanages had, you know, skin diseases. And I know Christy was like, oh, that kid has scabies. You know, make sure you wash yourself. But at the moment, you know, it's kind of like if Christ took over, and I didn't care. I didn't care what they had. And, yeah, I thought of my baby back at home, but these kids have no one. You know, no one really wanted to hug them. And there was this one kid, and he followed us to another town. He had extra fingers on both hands. And... um. At first, when I looked at him, I was playing with other kids, so it's crazy how our flesh comes out sometimes because I looked at him, and I kind of, like, went to the other side, you know? I didn't run to him and hug him, but the Lord tested me, and he brought him to another town. And as soon as I hugged, I saw him, I hugged him, and I told him I loved him, that Jesus loved him, I danced with him, and it was just amazing. Um, Jesus placed a compassionate heart in me for the people in Haiti, and I know that I will never forget them. You know, I was telling Phil and, and the guys that I kind of want to live there now because it's, it's so crazy in how much they love Jesus. One of the days, um, it might have been Tuesday, Kiara um, was making these little bracelets with some of the girls. And the little girl made a braid out of it. And as soon as she made it, she came and put it on my hand. And mind you, these kids don't have anything. They don't have anything. You know, they have maybe one pair of shoes. You know, a couple of nice clothes, their best dress they wear every single Sunday. And it convicted me. As soon as I saw this one boy um, that didn't have anything, and I said, wow, every Sunday I tried that my daughter has a new outfit, new shoes, a new hair, bow. And these kids wear the same thing every Sunday for the Lord. And that's why this verse comes so alive to me. These kids don't have anything. They probably have, you know, a couple pairs of, I don't even think they have any jeans. The last day that I was leaving, these two girls have really touched me. Before, you know, they knew, they asked me, what time are you leaving? And I told them 11. And they said, okay, hold on, I'll be right back. And they went and put a dress on. And one of the dresses were all dirty. But all they wanted to do was be around me. I gave one of the girls a watch. And um, she gave it to her friend. <laughs> I gave another girl, um, Miesling, I gave her chocolate, and she gave it away 
And that's why this verse is so crazy to me because they didn't care what I had to give them. They didn't ask me for anything. All they wanted was to be around me. They were around me singing Jesus songs, one of the songs that came out. Us and all the kids were singing it one time. Oh, like for 20 minutes nonstop in Creole, in English. And they taught it to me in Creole. <laughs> and I realized that it's true. It's not the material things, but the, the, the goodness of Jesus that comes out of us. And the way that some people in Haiti love Jesus puts me to shame about the things that I pray about in America. Before I left, a week before I left, I was praying that um, Phil was applying for jobs and And I was praying, please give him a job that gives him a lot of money, the best paying job, because we all want more things here. And um, one of the kids he shared, John Mark, and it's hit me so much because he said, Jesus, all I want to do is see your face. Show me your angels. That's all he prayed about. He didn't break me my next meal. He didn't break me a nice watch so I could see the time. He didn't pray that. He said, Jesus, I want to see your face. When's the last time I prayed that? I will never forget Haiti. I will never forget the kids. Um, one of the towns we went to, kids were just walking up to us. We had no idea where they lived, if they had a house or lived under their tent. We had no idea. They were just coming up to us, holding our hands. And um, we stopped and played with them. And five of those kids said, They told me in Creole, so I didn't understand, so I got the translator. And the translator told me, oh, they said that they want you to be their godmother. And I said, okay, I'll be your godmother. I'll be all of your godmothers, whatever you want me to be. <laughs> I told them. <laughs> um, well, I thank the Lord that he has opened my eyes, for real. Before I left, um, one of these girls, Bernardine, She told me, you're my mom. And I said, oh, gosh, what am I going to do with that? How can I be her mom? I'm leaving, you know. And she told me, When's the la when, when are you coming to Haiti next time? And I don't know the answer. I don't know where the Lord wants me to go. He's shown me who he really is, what his heart really is. Because I didn't, I didn't know that. In America, we have too many things. I'm going to um, read one of the letters that the girls wrote to me from the orphanage. Her name is Miss Ling. Um, I kept, I don't know how old she is because I kept asking her. 13? She told me she was 45. <laughs> I, I don't know if she even knows how old she really is because some of these kids come into the orphanage, they don't, you know, they don't know their names. They don't know, at least she knows her birthday and maybe they gave that to her, you know. Well, she wrote, and she knows how to write English, English, which is really impressive. She wrote, I love you a lot. I will never forget you. You will stay in my heart forever, in my spirit. Me and you will be friends forever. I don't want you to be leaving. When will you be back to Haiti? I will be happy a lot. I will always think, I will always talk about you, because I will never forget you. With God, me and you are sister and sister. Like to I like to write a lot every night. I have something, when I have something to write. When you are leaving, I will think about you a lot. You are very pretty for me. I will pray God for you to be a great person in your life. I was born February 14, and I would like to know when you're born. I pray for you to, to travel good and 
and come good in Jesus' name. I love you a lot. God bless you, Miss Lean. Thank you. Goodbye, honey. Oh, man, just reading this letter, I couldn't even read it. I opened it, start crying. Open it, start crying. So finally, the, the last day when I was on the plane, I started reading it. Um, I don't have anything else to say other than God has changed my life forever. And um, I will see my marriage different, my children different, and people that I come across different. Because these kids sang about, sang about Jesus so loud and didn't care how they sounded, didn't care what anybody thought. And that's how I want to live from now on. Thank you. Can you guys hear me? Yes? No? Yes? I have a lot of things. Rigo asked me to share one thing, and I was like, I can't. I have to share two. And I have a lot of things up here, so bear with me if something falls. Um, I wanted to start off by saying that this is my first mission trip, and um, I definitely see myself doing more. Um, I'm going to give a little background before the trip. So, um, And I first wanted to start off by saying that I've never felt so close to God as I did this weekend, or this week. Um... Before the trip, I didn't really tell much people, like many people, but I had trouble trusting God's word. Um, I've been saved since I was 16, and I'm 20, so about four years. Um, I knew when I believed God's word, but I didn't trust it. It's, it was like a dry season, I would say. Um, and I, I knew the trip was coming up, and I was feeling this way, and I was, I was praying, I was fasting. I was like, God, you need to come through, because if you don't, I'm going to be stuck. Um, I also pray for new eyes, you know, eyes of faith and not my own eyes. Um, so I wrote this, this little sentence that is pretty cool to me. It says, you can read and know God's word, but you have to know the one who wrote it. And in the sense of you can know the words, but you have to trust that it's going to come through. You have to trust God. Um, so when I first got there, I'm going to start the, the story now, the testimony. When I first got there, um, I didn't tell anyone, but I was really uh, dehydrated. And the only person I knew was Jenny, I believe. And I was freaking out because of the, sim- the symptoms. I, I didn't tell anyone. I was like, look, pray for me. Um, but I'm freaking out. <laughs> and I didn't want anyone else, anyone else to freak out. So um, I kept praying and praying. And maybe by the afternoon, it was gone. And I was like, all right, God. You know, I see. You're coming through now. <laughs> and then... Um, so the day went through, we had a tour of, of Mission of Hope, and we didn't really do much. So then that night, I was looking through um, the Bible, and I was like, okay, so what should I read? I was going to read First Peter, but when I look to the left, I see, um, I see James 5, 13 through 18, and the title was, hold on, uh, The Prayer of Faith. Sorry. The Prayer of Faith, and I was like, hmm, that sounds like it's speaking to me. So I'm going to read it really quick, and it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. Um, Then a few lines down, it says, um, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed, and the heavens rained and produced crops. So I started meditating on it, and I shared it with Melissa that night. And then the next day, um, 
Jenny came up to us uh, during the devotional at night, and she was she was scared. Um, her her ankles were really swollen, her legs were swollen, and um, she was freaking out because she has a specific diet um, for her kidneys and and whatnot. So we started praying for her. We were in a circle, we were laying hands, and all of a sudden, my heart starts boom, 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 boom. Like, you need to share this verse. And I was like, God, there's no room for doubt. I need to share this verse. So as soon as we finished praying, um, I shared it with her, and a few, a few other people heard it. And for sure, the next day, she was healed. Like, her, her ankles and her legs were thin. She, she was perfectly fine. She was like rejoicing and I was like Jesus you're awesome (laughs) so even then I still had you remember how I said that I had um the old eyes that I didn't have eyes of faith so I still hadn't learned my lesson and um so then the first day go back again to the first day I was walking to the orphanage and um I was with Melissa and all of a sudden I I feel someone following us and Melissa's like oh that girl's shy so we look back and it's Micheline, and she, we would walk, and she'll, we'll look back, and she'll hide, and I'm like, what's wrong with this girl, like, <laughs> so, um, finally, we, we spoke to her, we were like, oh, so what's your name, she's like, Micheline, we asked her how old she was, she said 45, and I was like, all right, you're older than me, then, and um, I kind of brushed her off, she was 13, and for some reason, I thought I knew who I needed to bless, in my eyes, I was like, that person needs to be blessed. I'm not going to pay attention to him because she needs to be blessed. And it was my old eyes of faith. So I kind of brushed her off. Not that I brushed her off in a bad way, but I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's nice. Let me go play with the kids. So um, a few days passed. It was Sunday, and uh, we saw her afterwards at church. And I was walking, and Regal was like, hey, crazy. And I was like, who are you talking to? He was like, oh, Micheline, because she says she's 100 years old. So we started calling her crazy. And then again, I spoke to her, but very briefly, like, hey, what's up? You know, how are you doing? I like your dress. Whatever. Left it as that. Um, I didn't see much of her till maybe the last day that we went to the beach resort. Um, I didn't see her much, so I kept focusing on the little kids. And um, that, that day, we took some of the kids. We took about nine boys and two girls. And at one point, Claudia and I, Melody and... Yeah, I think that was it. We were taking care of, of the two girls. Um, we went to the beach with them. We took care of them. Like little, like our little sisters, you know, because you have to be careful in that land. They could rob them and whatever, <laughs> you know. So um, we hung out with them, and we finally got back on the bus to, to head back to Mission of Hope. And something happened on the bus that got me a little upset. And I was just emotional. And it was the last day. And I was like, I just want to go back to Mission of Hope and bless someone. So then that morning, I had asked the little kid, his Crocs were messed up, they had a hole. And I go, are those your only pair? He goes, yeah, they, these are my only pair. I'm like, okay, when I come back from the beach, I'm going to fix them. He's like, all right, cool. So we did the whole beach thing, and then we came back, and um, I just wanted to bless someone. I, personally, I was like, I need to bless someone so I can feel better, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I got there, and he wasn't there. I saw another little kid, and his shoes were messed up. And I go, I go with my little duct tape, I'm like, hey, can I fix your shoes? No! Can I, can I like, fix them? Like, let me just, no! And he yelled at me. And then once again, I, I, I let him play. He went around in a little circle. And I go up to him again. Hey, please, like, let me fix your shoe. Like, it's, I'll fix it for you. No! And at that point, it was a final one, and I cried. I didn't cry in front of him. 
but I sucked it in, and I was like, and I walked away. We went, I went back to the room, and the girls were there fixing the things. Chrissy was there preparing to, like, give them away to the kids, her little treats and all that stuff. She was going crazy. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I was sitting there, and I was, uh, I think I was sitting next to Claudia, and I was in the bunk bed, and I was, I just sort of, I broke down, and I started crying. And um, I told Claudia what had happened, and Micheline, which is the girl, she was there with us, because since she was hanging out with us that day, she came back with us. And she was in the room, and she came, and she hugged me, and I started crying. And um, she, she asked me for a paper in my notebook. And I was like, okay, so I gave it to her. She left, she took the treats, she scattered them around to different kids, and then um, she came back, and she wrote me a letter. I'm going to read it to you guys. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Dear friend, thank you for come. T- thank you for come and Haiti to be my friend. God bless you and your family. I will pray for you and I love you, friend, forever. Love you, friend, Micheline. And it was crazy because this girl, I completely brushed her off since the beginning. And yet, the last day I spent maybe a few hours with her, she never asked me for anything like had, had like Melissa had mentioned. She never asked me for a watch. She never asked me for food. Nothing. And yet, she wrote that she loves me. Just because I spent maybe a few hours with her and I took care of her, she loves me and she's going to pray for me. And I was like, I don't need prayer. Like, in her, like if I were to put myself in her shoes and see me, I don't need prayer because I have everything. I have money, I have clothes, I have everything. And for her to write that, like, it, it broke my heart. I was like, wow, I brushed her off. And to me, it just it showed sometimes, like, how... It's kind of like the relationship I have with God, um, that it's just interest. Sometimes I pray to God, and I'm like, oh, God, help me, help me with school. I need this, I need that. But I don't seek him for who he is, and I just, I love that about her because she loved me the way I am, like how Melissa had mentioned. And that's pretty much it. Thank you. Y'all have to bear with me because I'm not used to speaking to a lot of people, you know. Um, what I could tell you is that Haiti did change me in a way because I used to think I used to know all about God, you know, and what he expected of me. But when I went to Haiti, he made me realize that there's more to God that I need to know than what I thought. It's not just about me just coming to church, sitting down, praying for a minute, giving an offering here and there. You know, there's a lot of people out there that need our helps, and you can't, I couldn't, I don't feel that I should be a lazy Christian. You know, it's hard when the first day I went there, and I noticed that when it was dark time, the villages didn't have no light, especially if I just came from seeing a two-year-old, a three-year-old, they didn't have electricity like we do, you know, it's not the same here. You know, and I just, the first day, i like, man, I can't accept that, I can't, this is, you know, it's not... Something that I could say, oh, okay, it's okay, you know, whatever. It's not, no, it's not, I can't. So I, the Lord spoke to me, and I know that there's much more that I have to do for him. And, you know, and I prayed, and I told God that I am willing, you know. I'm willing to do whatever he asks me. You know, I don't want to be a lazy Christian. I don't want to be the Christian that comes to church on Sunday, and that's it. It's not just about that. You know, a lot of us could do more for 
those people will be just don't because we're too lazy to do it. We don't want to spend our money doing it, you know. But I could tell you that I do see myself going back because I could do more for them than what I just did this week. You know, financially, you know, I could volunteer to do other things. You know, if I could save to buy a car or if I could save to go on a vacation, then I could save to go back and help out. Um, I'm grateful for my family more. You know, I'm grateful for my friends. You know, when I came back, I came back angry. I don't know why, but I came back angry. I don't know if it was because the whole day I came when I first got here, it seemed weird to me, you know, like being here. It's like, man, you know, I'm right here. The airport's all air-conditioned. I could just stop somewhere and buy something to eat. And then all the little kids, you know, they would ask me for water. We went to an orphanage where there were like 20 kids, 45 kids. They didn't even have food to eat. You know, that's not fair. I don't find that fair. I, couldn't, I can't accept that. I can't just come back and be okay with that. Because I'm here today, and I could go with my family to go eat. But I still, got, I still remember all those little kids that were starving. You know, all they want to do is just be around you. You know, around here, the people don't show you love. And over there, I received a lot of love. I just want to thank God because before... I went to the trip on a Monday. I went to go get my passport. And the lady told me, oh, no, you're not going to get it. You're not going to receive it until August. So I was really down, you know, and depressed. And on Monday night, my daughters, they brought me a cookie, you know. (laughs) They brought me a cookie saying, happy Father's Day. And I'm like, why are you giving me this when it's not Father's Day yet? You know, and they're like, because we know you're going to go to Haiti. And I was like, how do you say that? Because they went with me. You know, with a passport, and they knew, because I started crying because it hurt me. And they gave me a cookie to tell me Happy Father's Day because they knew I wasn't going to be here on Father's Day. And I said, what makes you think that I'm going to go get my passport when we just came from right now and saying that they're not going to give me my passport? Because, and they told me, because we know the Lord is going to give it to you. You know? So the next day I woke up, I was just, you know, just doing what I had to do. And around 3 o'clock... Nancy texted me to tell me, hey, you need to let me know what happened with the passport. And the devil told me, why don't you just text her and tell her you're not going and forget about it. But a few minutes after, God said, why don't you go back to where you got the passport and go get your passport. And I was a little confused because I drove in my car. (laughs) I was confused, you know. I got in my car. The place closes at 4. It was 337. You know, and I pulled over and I called my wife and I said, what do you think I should do? The devil's like, oh, you're going to go over there and drive for no reason. But God's telling me, go. So she couldn't even answer me. So I just hung up the phone and I just drove. You know, and God just told me, go. On the way going, I hit traffic. The devil's like, oh, man, you're going to go. You're going to go over there make all this line. You're going to go do all this and you're not going to get there. Well, I got there five minutes before they closed. And as soon as I got there, the same lady that told me that I wasn't going to get my passport was the same lady that handed my passport to me. And I just want to thank God for just kind of softened me up a little bit, you know. (laughs) And, you know, I just want to apologize to the people that I actually fought with, you know, and said things that I wasn't supposed to. I want to just say I'm sorry, you know.
That's all I have to say. So y'all can know, there was a kid that was younger than Pastor Eagle. He was shorter, and he smashed his shot. <laughs> um, you know, for years, we've all seen those infomercials, and we see those kids on TV and all that stuff, and the way they live. And, you know, you know it's real. And, and, you know, even in, it even touches you on TV when you see it. But when you go there, man, you see it in front of your face, it does something to you. It really hits you. Because I think me seeing it on TV all my life, you're like, yeah, oh, man, that sucks. But when it's in front of your face, I mean, when you're actually seeing people living to survive, you, you can't escape that. You can't just switch to the next channel and say, like, oh, that sucks, you know. You know, watch your race or watch your sport, you know, watch your game. It's just, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, we can, we can stand, we can talk to you about it. And I know it, it, it touches you because when I was, before I went, I would sit and I would hear the stories and it touched me. But it's, when you go, it's, it does change you. Everybody here says change my life. It's, it's definitely changed mine. Um, I, I just want to read a couple things for you guys. I had a lot of things happen to me while I was there, as you can see. <laughs> you know, I sprained my ankle the last day. I stabbed myself with a knife. I had, before, I, before I, I got here, I had scratches and bruises all over my knees and my arms. And, uh, and then I had my stomach virus and whatever. So, but it, <laughs> but it was all worth it, man. You know, honestly, it was all worth it. And then some. You know, it wasn't enough, you know. Um, but I wanted to read some things with you. Uh, when I first got there, one of the first places we went to, I've never done this, I've never journaled, so it was kind of weird, but when I, now that I'm, I wrote it, I want to read some of these things that I thought were, I, look, I go back and I'm like, wow. Um, I said, I, I wrote here, give me a second, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, what I just told you, I said the sights were unbelievable. I wanted to capture it all, and then suddenly it hit me. We were, I was, we were riding on the bus, and we were seeing people living in tents, man. I mean, stuffed in tents, and they were broken down tents. They weren't even nice tents, you know, and, and they had nothing. I mean, uh, and, then it's, and I wrote, uh, I tried to capture it all, and then suddenly it hit me. I was, I was taking pictures. Wait a second. I'm actually seeing this going on in front of me. It's not some infomercial on TV. People are actually living to survive. And the closest I can come to understand this is by taking a picture. Jesus, I need you. At that point, I was like, wow, I need more of Jesus. You know, this, this, is, this is incredible what's going on in front of me. Um, we, we went to a village the first day and... Uh, and then there was a, a bunch of kids that were meeting us. You guys saw the pictures. And then I wrote, um, as, as I stood near them, hearing, um, having just arrived, I felt a tiny grip around my fingers. They just wanted to touch me. 
He didn't want to let go. I see some of us carrying kids. When one begins to beg that I pick them up. Sorry. I teach him to say I love you. And Jesus loves you. And he kisses and hugs my neck. I'm not sure what to do, but I see that he's not the least bit embarrassed or sorry for what he did. I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a very, uh, I don't touch people all the time or or hug them all the time to feel that, you know, and the kids' eyes didn't get off of me. It impacted me so much. Because I shared this in, in one of the devotionals. That's all they want. They just want to touch you. You know, they don't get to touch anybody. They don't have parents. They don't have nothing. And they just want to touch you. And that's why you see people carrying them. Because it's not like we pick them up. They come running to you and they get on you and they beg you. They literally put their hands up. One kid didn't stop begging me to pick him up until I carried him. <clears throat> And, you know, we have our families sometimes we try to avoid them, you know? It's true. Um, and after that experience, all I wanted to do is, I, I shared this also in the devotion, all I wanted to do is touch people. I see, it's, you know, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to approach people and, and touch their lives, you know? You know, physically, not just physically, just touch them. Just it, God spoke to me. Just that one experience was God speaking to me. You know, and I guess maybe the purpose why I was there is to, to touch people, and all of us, you know, to touch people's lives. And that's why, you know, as Regal said, you know, when we, I just said, I don't, I don't want to go up the mountain and see how beautiful the view is. I, I don't want to go walk down the, the ocean. You know, I can do that anywhere. I don't care about that. You know, I don't want to take pictures. I just want to go up to people and I want to touch them. And so every chance I got, you know, I, every chance I got, I, I just spoke to people about Jesus and talked to them about God. And, and I know that God did something in every, every life that I spoke to. Um, and the other amazing thing that I experienced was uh, there was a boy. I think you saw a picture, you saw a picture of that too, who was lame and... Um, couldn't walk, was crippled all his life. Uh, he had a disease. And um, the, mo- the mom actually saw us and said, please come, I want you to pray for this, for my son. And I walk into their house, literally their house is like the size of one of our rooms. That's the house, okay? And uh, with one bed. So that means she sleeps on the floor while he sleeps on the bed. He doesn't get up. He's, he was 17 years old and he looks like a 10-year-old. 10, 10 um, and his, and his hands and his feet are all just, you know, bent. And he can't stare at you. He's just staring off to the side, and he has his head to the side. And we just started praying for him. And we prayed for the mother. 
And God, again, just started tugging in my heart, saying, you know, that's not enough. What do you have to give? And, and my song, you know, I, I said, God, I want to sing to him. So God put that in my heart, you know, to sing to, to him. Because he couldn't speak. He couldn't do anything. He was there for 17 years, this boy, has been laying in a bed and hasn't been able to express himself. So I thought the best thing I could do is give him a song that he can sing in his head. And I believe, and we prayed, and I said, I believe this boy is going to walk. Maybe he didn't walk that day, but he's going to walk one day, and he's going to speak one day. I believe that. So, uh, so I, I stood over him, and I, and, I, and, I, and I sang in his ear, and it was like the most amazing experience I've ever had. Not because I was singing to him, but because of the presence of God that I felt. And, and then when I was singing to him, in the middle of the song, he started sta- he, just, he turned his head, and he stared at me, you know, as I was singing to him. And that was just crazy. So, um, I don't even want to say this. This trip was all, just crazy. Um, the Lord moved in all our lives, and, and the Lord has shown me so many things. And I said it our last day, and I still feel this way. Every time I talk about what happened in the trip, or every time we get together with me and Phil, I think when the room we were talking, and we were just talking about everything, I keep learning new things. I keep, God keeps speaking to me even after the trip. You know, and, um, and and getting home and sitting on a couch, I felt unworthy, you know, <laughs> sitting on a, putting a TV on. And every little thing I would tell Jenny, Jenny, look, 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 look at this. Oh, my God. How would every little thing is a big deal, you know. So I just I'm, I'm appreciative of everything. Amen. close off the service um, you know when I was there all I could think of was um, the American church you know being a pastor just the issues that churches bring the complacency that happens in churches as we've been preaching in Acts trying to fight that complacency the bickering that happens within these four walls. The issues that we face with our families, husbands and wives in here that we're dealing with so that they don't get divorced. Children that are rebelling in here, in this church, that we're just trying to counsel and try to tell them to stop rebelling, turn to Jesus. As I was always there, I just I thought about everyone in this church, everyone that's come in and left, those that have stayed, those that work close to this ministry, those that serve far away in this ministry. Especially that Sunday service, all I was thinking was, Lord, if they could only see how these people worship. I'll never forget just standing there and looking to the side and seeing a lady. I remember when we put these rugs down in this church and when we put down the wood in this church, I was like, man, my first church that I'm going to pastor, we did a good job putting down this rug. And I will see Jenny putting the bathrooms and 
working 16 hours or on the clock in this building, this little warehouse, to make it look nice for our grand opening. I saw people come on fire when we started this, and we started in this building in August of 2008. And I saw people dull in September of 2008. One month of opening up a new building, I saw people hit the highest of highs and hit the lowest of lows. I've seen people come to church, come up to the front, be broken, get saved, get delivered. Two weeks later, go back to this world, go back to sinning, go back to their same lifestyle. I just will never forget there was one lady on that Sunday service. When I looked at her, she wasn't kneeling down on rug. She didn't put a pillow on her knees. She put her knees on concrete. And the cry from her belly spoke to me as she worshipped God. I felt like she was the loudest one in that church. And I will say there was probably about, I don't know, hundreds among hundreds. They say 1,500 go to that church now. There was a lot of people. I felt like she was the loudest one. I don't know if God made her the loudest one just for me to hear her. I don't know if she was speaking in tongues or speaking in Creole. But I know she was speaking to God. And I just stood at her. And I said, I don't remember seeing one church member get on their knees in my church. And I looked and I see their whole church on their knees on concrete. Worshipping and screaming to God. And I'm like, my God. These people really have a different relationship with you. And I just got rebuked and I just got humbled. That's why today in worship I couldn't do nothing but just get on my knees. Not because I'm holier than thou, but because God ministered through those Haitians to us. If you guys would only see uh, me and my wife, a lot of families and a lot of friends, all they did was saying, Why you go to Haiti? Why Haiti? You're crazy. Those Haitians will never change. Those Haitians will always stay the same. Listen to me. I will never look at a Haitian ever the same again. Those Haitians are children of God. And I promise you this. I stand here before you saying they have a higher place in heaven than I do. And I say that with all humility. They have a higher place in heaven than I do. I pray that you love God. Love God more than anything you have, man. We get so caught up, you know. When we took showers, we had to put on the water, let it get wet, turn it off because there's a lack of water. We couldn't just shower like we do here for hours. When we brush our teeth, we, well, when they would do, I don't know if they even do, other teeth were ugly. But, you know, you rinse off, brush. And put it back on again. Nothing was left on. You didn't see flat screen TVs in Haiti. You didn't see nice paved roads. You didn't see nice cars. You only saw nice clothes on Sunday morning. You never. Other than that, you saw naked children. Shirts ripped. Shoes ripped. I have so much stuff in my closet. Me and my wife have two cars. I mean, just the little things of life, man. I pray that you serve God differently. 
I pray that you look at God differently. I know God showed our team a different side of him in this trip. I'm going to be transparent. I don't like going to mission trips that much because of this reason. And I was sharing this with my brother and my sister. They had to leave. Because every time I go away, I don't want to come back. And I'm here now. And I don't feel like pastoring this church. I want to serve God somewhere else. I want to serve God where there's a need. Don't get me wrong. I love you. I'm going to still pastor. But that's what God does to me messes me all up and sometimes I just want to pack my bags and I just want to get out and I just, I just say God send me to the end of this earth and that's why I fight sometimes going on mission trips because God always tugs at my heart and I'm scared of that and I know that deep down inside God is calling all of us for more and he's calling me for more and he says don't get comfortable here I'm going to take you to the ends of the earth what about if God is telling you that What about if God is saying, church, don't get comfortable in these four walls. I'm going to take you to the end of this earth. What are you going to say to that? Yes, Lord, or not now. I'm going to keep pastoring here. And I'm going to keep serving here. But I promise you this, man. You're going to see me worship a little bit different. You're going to see me preach a little bit different. And I pray that your lives are changed. You know, God, when Jesus was here, he opens up the Bible. And you've heard us share this verse so many times. He opens up the, the scroll in the temple. And as he opens up the scroll, he prophesies about himself. And he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Here's the Lord saying that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I, the Lord, I'm upon myself right now. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, liberty to those who are captive. To bring recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he ends with this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was, a Jesus, that was a message that Jesus shared. That was the word that Jesus opened up in the temple, talking about himself. Notice what he said. I have been anointed to do this, to do that, to do this, to set free, to heal, to love. And what he was doing was he was giving the church, you and I, a message. And the message is, church, you have been appointed and you've been anointed to do the same things. That's why Jesus said it. And we're saying it in Acts. You'll do greater things than me. I promise you in Haiti, I saw Haitians do greater things than me. Maybe they didn't heal people. Maybe they didn't want to lay hands and the blind were seen. But I saw people worship better than me. I saw people love Jesus more than me. I saw people that had nothing. They were actually rich, more rich than I will ever be. Not with material things, but with the spiritual things that I wish I had. 
I don't know how many pair of jeans I have. I don't know how many pair of shirts I have. I don't even know how many pair of shoes I have. But nothing can be compared to the love for Christ that those Haitians have that we saw. John Mark, 14 years old, does a devotional and he leads worship every night before for us. His mom died. He was left an orphan. He runs to the mission and he says, I need you to accept me. I have nowhere else to go. He's 14 right now and he begins to lead worship one night up on the mountain and he begins to share his testimony. And John Mark says, I pray every single day as I clean my church and I look up to the roof and all I want to see is an angel of the Lord. That's all I want. And when he said that, I just sat back on my chair staring at him. And he said, all I want to see is the face of an angel. And I know that God is going to give it to me. And I promise you, after he was done, I went up to him and I said, John Mark, God's going to show you that angel. And he's going to show you more. Trust me, you're going to see the angel. And I know it. But that messed the heck out of me because I said, this kid is longing to see an angel. And I'm here. I don't know when was the last time that I prayed, God, show me your glory, show me an angel, show me your face. I don't know when was the last time. I know, I know uh, rhetoric, rhetorically, I said it, and I, and I show me your glory and show me your face, Lord. But I know that there are many times when I've said it that I did not mean it. And here's this young boy who has nothing to his name. He wants to come to the States. Christy gave him $230. They stole his money. They told him, you can't have your passport because you don't have this government ID. He's going to try again. He didn't say, Lord, all I want is my passport. All I want is to see your face. To see an angel. That's crazy, man. Church, what do you want from God? If I ask and I pass the mic around and I say, share me one thing that you want from Jesus, what you need from Jesus. Many of you would say for my kids to get healed, to get a better job, to do this, to get that, how many of you would say to see Jesus? To see Jesus. This is what God is calling us to. A pure, pure and undefiled religion. Let's not live a polluted and defiled religion. Let's live pure and undefiled. And I'm going to close with this verse. And we've shared it all day today, and it's this. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion is this before God, and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You know what that means, unspotted? Romans 12.1, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be totally transformed do not let this world spot you with its filth with its sin with its stupidity without spot be pure before god pure undefiled unadulterated religion before god widows orphans you know Lord, thank you for this trip. 
Lord, you've anointed us. And many of us don't walk on your anointing. So many times we think we're going to go to heaven just because we said a prayer. And we give you our tithes. And that's going to lock us into heaven. I'm the bride because I read the Bible and I convince myself that I'm the bride of Christ. But as I saw those Haitians worship, and I saw the way they loved you with what they had, I don't even know anymore what we are, whether we're the bride or the church. I don't know, Lord. I know that they're special, and I know that those in Africa that love you are special, and those in China that are in the persecuted church are special, and those in the Middle East that are fighting and are hiding from Muslims because of their faith, I know they're special. And Lord, I pray that we will be a special people before you with everything that we have, with all the riches, with all the stuff, that we will be special before you, that we would give you an abundance that we would love you with all our possessions, that we would love you whether we have or we don't, that we will seek you whether we have plenty or we have little, that, Lord, there will be nothing that will get in the way between our religion, between our faith, between us and you, oh God, that we will have, Lord God, a faithful, pure, and undefiled religion before our God. Lord God, take away the spot in our lives. Take away the mess and let us live before you holy and pure. I thank you and I ask you that this team, oh God, of 15 that come here and the five that go to south, that they will be the ones that transform this ministry. Let them not wait for the leaders. Let them not wait for the people that are over them. Let them take full charge and transform this ministry, this community for Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, Humble the leaders here. Humble us here. Humble each member here. Let us love you more. Shut up our mouths. Shut up our abilities. Shut up our giftings. And release your glory in our lives. Let us live a pure and undefiled religion. Let us seek you. With every eye closed... No one looking around if today you need prayer. Maybe you just need Jesus in your life. And you've been hearing these testimonies and our words today. And you're saying, I need to know Jesus. I need to love Jesus. I need to give him my life right now, 100%. No more holding back. I want to get saved. I want to seal my salvation. I want Jesus to be everything Everything in my life, number one in my life right now. I know everyone's sitting down, but if that's you, say excuse me. Come up here. I want to pray for you if that's you. Anyone here? With every eye closed.